Welcome to the Heritage Online Podcast. This is our weekly deep dive into the scriptures, the church, Methodism, faith, and following Jesus Christ. In this week's episode, we continue our series called What the Bible Says. This week's topic is doubt. Reverend Matt Haran shares with us what the Bible says about doubt. Enjoy. So, um, kind of curious to first uh, pull the, the crowd here. Uh, if you're watching at home, you can raise your hand as well. <coughs> uh, how many of us have done a garage sale? Not gone to, actually put on a garage sale. So, a couple of us have had that experience. Well, uh, so my parents just moved to Virginia a little over a year ago, and uh, we moved to Florida in 86, so we've been accumulating stuff, you know, uh, since then, and so it was time for them to kind of downsize a little bit, so we, you know, my brother and I, his name's Andrew, we got together with them to help them with the garage sale, and, uh, you know, my, my mom is kind of a planner gets ahead of things, so she writes little price tags on every item she's going to put in the garage sale, puts it all out there. Uh, my dad has uh, been a real est- in real estate for a long time, so he, you know, he likes to negotiate. He lives for the negotiation, right? And so you never want to show your number at first, right? You want to have them show their cards first, right? So no price tags on his stuff. He's not really going to go that way. Uh, so we... Uh, and I also know that you know a part of the part of negotiating is being able to walk away, right? If you really get a good negotiator, you got to be willing to walk away. So, and my dad's there, like he he. In fact, I think he likes a little bit walking away, frankly. So, um, so he had that going for him at the garage sale. But my brother and I do not want to inherit my dad's set of ten different soldering irons, right? So we are not as willing to walk away as my dad was. So uh, whenever my dad would go into the house, my brother and I were given out bargain basement prices at the, at the garage sale. Uh, he'd come out again, then it would get a little more tougher to make a deal. <laughs> but uh, I, I did learn that there are different kinds of approaches to garage sale customers. Uh, some of the things they would try on you, like they'll come up to you and they'll say, hey, how much for this napkin holder? Now it says 50 cents, there's a little sticker on it. Right? But, but they're, you know, they're wondering, really, you know, what, what, are you go, what are you willing to do on this? And so I said, well, it's 50 cents for the, hmm, okay. 50 cents, huh? It's like we're negotiating a, you know, 10-year lease or something. Will you go 25? <laughs> like, out of the principle of the thing, I'm thinking, no, 50 cents, but... I'm afraid we're going to be stuck with this napkin holder. So, all right, fine. So, you know, we kind of were at a disadvantage. Uh, but I also knew there were a couple tricks people were using, right? There'd be a, uh, somebody negotiating with us. Their spouse or someone else walks by. What are you looking at? Ah, we don't need one of those, right? And, and they keeps on walking. And now I'm at a disadvantage because the person thinks they don't need this napkin holder. And I'm like, oh, fine, 25 cents, right? Uh, they might also do the change pocket which was an interesting move, I thought. Uh, you'll say it's 50 cents, and they'll go, 50 cents, huh? Okay, and they'll pull up the change in their pocket. Uh, I got 18 cents. Would you do 18 cents? And uh, 
you know, and then later on, they want to buy something else. They have a wad of $1 bills in their other pocket, but that's their, that's their change pocket. They're going to do the move on me, right? So by the time the garage sale's over, <laughs> I trusted no one. I, I doubted the integrity and the intentions of every single person who walked into our garage sale. And um, so that was an enlightening experience. But, you know, it does, uh, that did kind of come to mind this week, preparing for this morning, uh, as we continue our sermon series on what the Bible says. We asked you guys, what do you want to know more about what the Bible says? And so today's question was, what does the Bible say about doubt? And so, so that, that came to mind pretty quickly for me. But uh, a passage that, uh, that jumped out comes from Matthew 14 starting in verse 15. It says this, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Now, you know that story? They end up feeding thousands of people with just this, this, you know, these couple loaves and fish. And uh, then it says, after that, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And, you know, frankly, I can think of some reasons. (laughs) I mean, I'd imagine this is Peter's first time walking on the water, so there might have been some uncertainty uh, for him. There's some wind, some waves. That also might have made him a little nervous. So I can imagine there's some reason for doubt. But the word that they use here, the Greek word that's translated doubt, really means something like, like, why are you taking two stances? Why are you straddling? Why are you not committing to one or the other? And that's really what's going on here, right? Peter wants to walk out to Jesus, but now there's some wind and some waves and some uncertainty. So now he's got an eye on Jesus and an eye on the boat. It's like, oh, sure was better back there. And Jesus asks him, where's your faith? You're supposed to be trusting in me, not looking back at the boat like that's the better option. You're supposed to be walking towards me, confident that I'll be with you. And so... Uh, that's the, the lesson here for us, that uh, we're supposed to trust in Jesus. Now, the, the doubts I tend to get when people ask me questions, there's kind of a couple categories to those. Uh, 
I would say the first one or maybe the first couple or something like uh, when we doubt the people in the church, when we doubt Christians. Now, uh, the church over the years has had its good share of hypocrisy. Plenty of times when people who are church people have not lived like Jesus, not spoken like Jesus, acted like Jesus. So naturally, when a person sees someone who claims to be a Christian acting nothing like Jesus, I would give them some pause. All about you, uh, like Matt said, it's a, it's a rough week in America this past week as we had protests turn violent and actually uh, infiltrated the Capitol building, sending representatives hiding under their desks and senators running to secure locations to hide underneath the building. And, uh, you know, no matter what your politics are there, you know, I couldn't help but notice all the people that were a part of that event holding up Jesus saves signs, carrying crosses around as a part of the, uh, the marching, uh, having, you know, shirts and, and other things that had Bible verses or, uh, you know, the name of Jesus on them. And I couldn't help but wonder, like, what is a person of color thinking when they remember the George Floyd protests from earlier this summer and there was a militarized police force there stopping them, and then this time when this group of white people claiming to be Christians marches up there with hardly anybody there to stop them, what must that have been like for a person of color? What must they have thought about the church of Jesus Christ? What does anyone think about the church of Jesus Christ who has people claiming the name Jesus, marching into this place, putting people in danger, ended up with five people being killed. It's true. The Christians have done plenty of things over the years that have shown we're capable of hypocrisy. Another one is uh, a doubt about our impact if they give their time, their energy, their faith to Jesus Christ, what difference will it make? Or could they serve in another way, join some other cause, give financially to some other cause? Would they make a bigger difference in that way? Maybe when they see us in the church arguing about things that seem to matter so much to us and so little to Jesus— when we argue about our, our uh, prefer preferences for what to have in a sermon, what to have in the songs, which hymns we're going to pick, uh, what, you know, what kind of lighting I prefer, uh, there's so many things that we argue about based on our preferences and our, our desire to be entertained in a certain way on Sunday morning rather than being driven by caring for our neighbors and loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the third doubt that I have heard the most is probably uh, when they question the science of the Bible. How, how can you have the sun be created on the fourth day, but light on the first day? And, you know, there are plenty of, of people who feel that believing every word of the Bible in the way that it is said, in the order that it is said, is, is a test of true faithfulness, right? Like, if you can put your doubts aside and just trust it, I know it doesn't make any sense to you, but just put that aside and fight that and just believe it, even though it makes no sense. Sometimes we measure people's faithfulness by their ability 
to put their brain aside on Sunday morning. Is that what it means to be faithful? To put aside your questions that arise? You know, the, uh, the Methodist church is not perfect. There are plenty of things that make me crazy about the Methodist church, but there are also a lot of things that I love, enough to the point where I want to be one, be a pastor of a Methodist church. And uh, 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 John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist church, actually sums it up pretty well. He says, I believe the merciful God regards the lives and tempers of men and women more than their ideas. I believe he respects the goodness of the heart rather than the clearness of the head. And that if the heart of someone be filled by the grace of God, patient love of God and human beings, God will not cast him into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels because his ideas are not clear or because his conceptions are confused. See, we get kind of hung up on do you believe all the right things? Do you think all the right things? Do you have the right facts in your head so that it makes it so that you are really a Christian? And in the Methodist church, we don't do that. When there is a question that arises about what, what we're doing uh, practically, what we're thinking theologically, what we're studying biblically, we have a whole process for thinking about those things together. We first go to the scriptures, and then we read them through the lenses of reason, tradition, and experience. That has been our, our tradition for over 200 years of Methodism, is to invite those questions, invite those doubts. And when someone shares something like, you know, I hear that story of the Tower of Babel where I guess that's where all the different languages came from, and I'm not sure if that really makes sense to me. I'm not sure I believe that. Well, if you receive that with, huh, what? That, that is not the Methodist approach to, to doubt, to questions. See, the fact is that when someone has doubts and questions, those things make the church better. Because here's the deal, right? If I, if I have some things, right, that are just non-negotiable, I, I refuse to have any conversation about this theological idea or that theological idea. And I mean, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit with you if, if you need to, but these things, this is, nope, I'm not going to touch that. That's not going to budge. I'm not going to change about that. Forget it. Well, that does not invite connection to another person. That does not build bridges to people. See, if I believe something, if I believe that God has revealed something to me, I should be willing to put that all on the table. If we're discussing back and forth what we believe, I should put all of it on the table, and I should trust that what I believe will withstand the scrutiny of Scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. And you know what? If what I believe goes through the scrutiny of Scripture, reason, tradition, and experience, and it does not survive, I'm better off without it. Because perhaps God has got something better for me. But for whatever reason, over the years, we've developed this, this, this anxiety about being challenged, 
right? Like, oh, w- w- I'm not even sure I'm allowed to doubt that. Am I allowed to have that doubt? Am I allowed to think that? Oh, I hope, I hope the Lord does not see my thoughts. Wait, Lord, don't look right now. I'm doubting. <laughs> it's like you want to have that little room. You go off on the side. I'm going to have my, this is my doubt room. God can't see me in here, right? <laughs> That's not how it works. You know, uh, when Thomas doubted, Jesus didn't throw him out. He said, all right, come on, look. When, um, you know, when a person hears about Jesus, I am, I am aware that we're all different kinds of learners, right? I used to be a teacher. I know that people learn in different ways. And sometimes it's helpful to someone to be a part of a denomination that values that ironclad certainty that will not budge, will not doubt, will draw a line in the sand and say, we will not dare budge from this to challenge this as to be, you know, to not be a Christian. And look, that kind of approach has borne some fruit from time to time. People have come to Christ that way. And so it's not my place to disparage a person who thinks that way. Because there are people who are comforted by that ironclad certainty. And they would find the whole idea of sharing their, their ideas and letting them be scrutinized, they would find that really unsettling. One of the beautiful things about the grace of God is that, is that he has allowed us to form different denominations that allow different people who learn different ways to approach him in the way that they are able to. And so I, I feel like the Methodist Church is one of those ways that does welcome certain kinds of people that learn in that way, that, that need to have the chance to think out loud and sort it all out and, and be in dialogue together. If you're not that way, that, that's okay too. <laughs> and, and I know that, that that creates the big tent, right? If you, if you have this openness to different ideas and you welcome everybody in and they're, they're going to get a seat at the table to share what they think, creates the, the big tent. And I know that a big tent can become a circus. Right? And friends, if you're in the church long enough, you will see the circus come to town. <laughs> I, had, I have a professor in seminary who once told us, listen, if you're going to be a light in the darkness, expect to attract some bugs. <laughs> right? Person company excluded. <laughs> but it's... It happens. We, we, you know, the church is not only to welcome the people to have it all figured out and all together and know just the right answer to every single question. They've read all the books of a thousand answers to hard questions in the universe. There will be broken people who aren't sure about this who will come. There are people who, will, who have been burned by the church before, who have not been in the church in decades because of something mean someone did to them or something mean someone said to them. And if we welcome them back to give it a try and they share their doubts and we gasp in horror... That's not going to build a bridge to them. That's not going to welcome them in and help them feel at home with us. You see, the measure of our faithfulness is not whether or not you can put your brain aside and just believe hard-to-believe things. That is not the measure of faithfulness. When someone asked Jesus, what is the first, what is the most important thing, he did not say that you believe that absolutely Jonah was swallowed by a whale and that, Jonah's, and that Noah really built an ark and that there really was seven days of crea- six days of creation. And he didn't list off believing the facts of all these things. He said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, your neighbors, yourself. You measure your faithfulness based on your ability to put yourself aside and live instead for God and for others. That is the measure of our faithfulness. That is the measure of our discipleship. Is am I... Is there less of me, like John the Baptist said, is there less of me and more of Jesus? 
do I decrease? Does he increase? These test questions that we float out there, right? And, and preachers get it all the time. I wasn't here 10 minutes before someone asked me what I thought about gay marriage, as if that's the most important thing in my life I have going on, going on right now. <laughs> I've, actually, I've actually had people call on the phone and ask what our stance is on, on gay marriage so they know whether they want to leave their church and come to ours or not. And I asked them, well, don't you have friends at your church? Like, don't you have people that you love that have been there with you for years? Are you going to leave these people that you love over this? Like, why, I don't know why we seem to think that, that having all of our thoughts and beliefs exactly word for word correct all the time is the thing that we need to use to measure each other, to measure a church, to measure a pastor. Or... Do we welcome that person in to be in conversation and dialogue with them? You know what a privilege it is when someone tells you, you know what, I read this thing in the Bible and I just have the hardest time believing it. That is a scary thing to share with another Christian. Because they're afraid you might have the gasp. <gasps> what? But what a privilege when they tell you, you know, I have, this, I have this doubt. I have this question. I'm not entirely sure. Because it takes courage. It takes courage to walk up to someone else and tell you they have some doubts or some questions. It is a privilege. And what you do with that is if someone shares that with you, you say, thank you for sharing that with me. I would love to walk with you through that and study that and think about that and talk about that. You know what's even better, friends? Let me, let me let you off the hook a little bit. You might then feel when someone brings you a doubt that it's your job now to set them straight. You get that all fixed up. You get that ironed out. You get that, that checked off. You've got them back figured out, and now, now they're, they're good. That is not your job. Their, their eternal salvation, them being saved from something in this world, it is not all hinged on your ability to answer their questions. They will not arrive in the presence of God one day and God says, well, you know, you asked the wrong person about that Jonah question. Your job is to welcome them into the conversation. And at the end of the conversation, you can both walk away going, you know, I enjoy talking about it. I have no idea. But I enjoy talking to you. Thank you for sharing that with me. That is a good result of that, of that interaction. <laughs> what a gift it would be to know that we were people that others felt safe approaching with questions about their faith. Wouldn't that be great to be that kind of person? Wouldn't it be great to be that kind of a church? That's, what, that's one of the things I love about the Methodist Church is that that's what we do. We invite people into the process, into the dialogue, the conversation. And yeah, sometimes we're not all on the same page and we, we discuss and debate and go back and forth and it might take us years to figure out what we, what we think about something but we do it together. And that's the beautiful, beautiful thing that I love about when someone has the courage to share their doubts with someone else. So I don't know about you, I wonder, maybe there is a person in your life who has shared their doubts with you. Or maybe you have some doubts that you're not sure to share them with. I would encourage you, if you ever have a question or something that you'd like to talk about, feel free to email me, call me, whatever. I talk enough about how to fix the plumbing around here and how to, you know, I would love to talk about Jesus. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> call me anytime. Or maybe you know someone who's, who's struggling with their faith and, and maybe you feel that pressure, right, to set them straight. 
Maybe you feel pressure to, to answer their questions or to Google their, their questions to get them the right answer. But I want you to instead enjoy that conversation. Enjoy the gift of the friendship that will deepen as you talk about that. So I, I don't know, maybe you have that person in your life. If you do, rejoice over that. Welcome that conversation and enjoy it because you will see a deepening of your faith, deepening of their faith, a deepening of your friendship with them, and it'll be a great gift to you both to be able to be that safe place, that safe person for anyone who has doubts. When you have a doubt, when you have a question, those things make our faith better. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's a chance for us to figure out what, what is next for us, how we can be how we can, you know, be better about this, better about that, how we can think through things we never have thought about before. So I encourage you to keep your eyes open for who that person or people might be who are looking for that safe, safe friend who will listen to their doubts. Thank them for sharing them and have, show them the willingness to walk through that exploration and that wondering together.